This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. My name is Rich Bradbury. It is Thursday, the 22nd of June. It is 12.05, and I'm joined in the studio by... Roshan Kennison. It is, of course, Enterprise Biz Bites. Roshan, what have you been up to the last couple of days? What have we been up to the last couple of yeah. days? We've talked about AI. Uh-huh. We talked about more AI. Uh-huh. Uh, talked about financing in the uh-huh. ecosystem. That uh-huh. was pretty interesting. Had yeah. Cash and Zian and uh, Joe from FinTech News Asia. Sorry, uh, P2P player, a equity funding player, and of course, uh, one of our friends from FinTech News Asia coming in and just talk about the industry. Um yeah, that's what we've been up to this week. One of the things that we've not really spoken about this week, though, and um, much, I don't think we've mentioned it at all, food is something we haven't really touched upon. I mean, AI will feed us. What? No, <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> Maybe soon, but not quite yet. We'll be plugged into the Matrix. Yeah, well... For I, those who haven't watched the Matrix, now, go watch it. You're the one that tells me you don't like watching dystopian movies and all of... This is something new that I found out about you. You're not into this whole, you know, dystopian, futuristic... Very selective. Uh-huh. Very selective. Why because, is this? Because the world's depressing as it is. <laughs> we live in that dystopian movie. Do I need to watch a worse version of it? I mean, the only exception was... Um, what was that recent one with Pedro Pascal? Um, uh, uh, kind of like Walking Dead, but the last not. Of us. Yeah, so I okay. watched The Last of Us because uh-huh. I heard it was really good and yeah. everyone was watching it and I said, come to peer pressure. And it was very well done. It was a really right. good show. Uh, still dystopian and upsetting and all of that jazz. But, and you know, you're not going to be running down to the health store buying cordyceps anytime soon, you know. Because apparently they help you live a longer life, allegedly. No comment. No comment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Enough about that. Anyway, now, um, we are talking about food, in fact, today. Uh, kind of. Uh, but it's it's mainly about the rising rent dilemma uh, and whether mm. or not hawkers can, can weather the storm of rising rent. So the F&B sector... No strangers to hardships and obstacles. Um, But there is a potential challenge in the form of rent increases that threatens to stir the hawker industry. Um, Now, a recent situation involving hawkers up in Penang highlights the enormous implications of such a move, painting a concerning picture for food store owners everywhere. And at the heart of this controversy lies Astaka Hillside Tanjung Bunga. And that's a food court that was rebuilt after a fire three years ago. And the hawkers who had once occupied this um, uh, space, it was rent-free for them, they were suddenly confronted with a 900 ringgit monthly rent. Now, that's a large sum, considering it was previously rent-free. Now, and this shift has sparked significant protests and highlights a fundamental question. How would similar rent increases impact hawkers in other regions? Not just hawkers, but small stallholders and food operators. food operators and that kind of thing. This is what we're talking about today. And if you want to get in touch with us regarding this story, get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. You can get us on 018-789-8899. Get us on Twitter, at BFM Radio. We're going to be joined in a little while by um, Nasri Adam from Sausage Sizzle. uh, Sizzle. Now, they're a roadside hot dog stand, uh, currently with, I believe, 10 outlets currently. Last time we spoke to him, it was 10 outlets. It could be 11, it could be 20. We'll double check in a second. We'll find out in a few minutes. But he's joining us in a little while to kind of give us his opinion on this. Anyway. Yeah, so I think this was a really important uh, topic to discuss, Rich, because uh, anecdotally, I've seen it happen myself. I mean, I think it was a month or two ago that we heard the the Tamil Mega coffee shop having to basically close its doors because rental had gone to a point where it didn't make business 
cents yeah, anymore. Yeah. In my neighborhood, I noticed a corner shop. I think it was close. 20,000 ringgit a month they were Correct. for that. Yeah. Uh, something along those lines. Um, and, you know, when we talk about this number here, 900 ringgit is a lot smaller than the 20,000 ringgit we were talking about there. Mm. But it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. It's all relative to the operations, the kind of money you're making, the kind of margins you have. Right. Which is why Nazri's input in a little bit will be really important considering yeah. that he operates smaller, uh, smaller square foot uh, uh, stands as yeah, opposed yeah. to full-on outlets. Yeah. But essentially, in the F&B business, and I remember speaking to him and Jeffrey Williams about this a few months back, um, rental is a key component mm-hmm. of that, right? So you've got food input costs, you've got rental as another main part of their costing structure. Mm. Um, all this plays into your ability to keep your F&B business viable. And we know they're on razor-thin margins. You know, these people that are operating up in uh, Penang as well. Yeah, so it, it, that's it's, it's dependent on, again, um, the kind of market they're operating, uh, the kind of input costs, because those are all things that they can't really yeah. uh, man- uh, not manage. It's things that are out of their control. Mm-hmm. So if you can't, it, I mean, it's okay if you can increase prices, but if you increase your own prices and people don't want to buy your stuff, then there's a little bit of a dilemma there, right? So if we take back, if we take a look at the Estaca Hillside uh, situation, um, Rich, as you mentioned, it, it is complex because there are a lot of factors at play mm. here, including not uh, not to mention the fact that the government, I mean, it, ownership of the, the venue changed from the Prime Minister's office right. over to the uh, state go- state government's hands, uh, money was put in to rebuild the place. And, you know, there is this whole notion of, not notion, but this whole conversation to be had as well, to be fair to the government, um, that it costs money to maintain these kind of things. So right. should commercial entities be buoyed up by the government? Yeah. Um, it's new. There's also the larger theme of gentrification as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's so coming back to that, it is complex. Um, and after that fire, it kind of just changed everything for that situation there. Now, uh, just to kind of give give some, I, I guess, meat and I want to say meat and potatoes, but you know, in, in this case, it, sh- it should be tose and, and and something else to the story. You know, it's, it's <laughs> tose and curry, tose and curry. Yeah. So th- these hawkers. Uh, understandably defiant uh, against these uh, pr- uh, price hikes. Now, I've been obviously they've been voicing their concerns, and like, just to give some kind of uh, a human touch to it, Sandra Kupasami, chapati and tose vendor, question how a vendor selling food at one ringgit fifty uh, a piece could possibly afford nine hundred ringgit in rent, and he, like many of the others, sees this increase as a direct threat to his livelihood. So. Other hawkers uh, echoed their concerns. A, a veteran hawker also stated that the rent was exorbitant and wondered how she would make double her current earnings just to cover the rental and cleaning fees. Another guy who runs a fish stall uh, voiced his willingness to pay no more than 300 ringgit a month, expressing a desire to return to his previous location. Um, they see it as a roadblock to restarting their businesses. Now, a state executive council did res- uh, respond to the protest, arguing that 900 ringgit was reasonable when compared to some of the other food courts up there that charge over 1,500 per month. Mm-hmm. He also mentioned measures to aid the hawkers, including this three-month waiver and an additional 2,000 ringgit grant to help restart their businesses. Yeah, so this is the thing, right? So when you see, so she was talking about, so uh, Sundra sells uh, Tose at one ringgit 50 cent. Yeah. If the rental is 900 ringgit, you would have to sell 600. Uh, and this is just revenue, not yeah. the margins. Yeah. Yeah. You would yeah. have to sell si- uh, 600. So that's 30 a day, assuming a 20 day work month. Yeah. Um, so that's quite a bit. It's all relative here. But at the same time, market dynamics are market dynamics. And uh, should the state government be subsidizing smaller vendors? Maybe so. Mm. Because if you take a look at tax subsidies, there is a conversation to be had around how big companies get tax subsidies in, in different dynamics. So um, 
maybe they should have talked to the vendors before they instituted it. Sometimes right. it, it's just communication breakdown. Yeah. Um, how much are you willing to pay? Is this is this area maybe not the right place to do it? Mm. Um, or maybe the government doesn't care and you can leave and then maybe they'll fill it up with other people who are willing to pay more. I, I am sure that they... And, and I don't want to side with the, the state ex-co or whoever on this, you know, or... Uh, are the vendors asking too much? Should they be allowed to be in a space where they don't have to pay anything, you know? And if that's the case, then why are they allowed to, to be in a space that where they sh- they don't pay anything? And even if that's come from before the fight happened, you know? Um, it seems only fair that whatever space you're occupying, you should have to pay some kind of fee. Yeah, so if the guy, the one of the guys you mentioned said 300 ringgit would have been fairer. I think fairer, that's reasonable. Uh, for a hawker stall. So, but in the state government's defense, they're coming in and saying, well, other people are paying 1,500 for relatively similar spaces. Now, yeah. obviously, location, location, location. Footfall, foot if traffic. If they aren't able things. to generate the revenue to make yeah. that up, then obviously it's not sustainable. But yeah. um, I think this is something to watch. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I think Nazri will be able to give us some context as to the challenges that food operators go through. Well, let's get him on shall we? Let, let's have a word with Nasri. Nasri, are you there, my friend? Hang on, let me switch him on. Nasri, can you hear us? I'm here. I'm here. Hi, Nasri, how are you? Good, thank you. Now, I'm sure you've heard us uh, do that introduction there, of course, and, and talk a little bit and give a little bit of background about that story. Now, uh, let, let's just look at uh, your perspective on this. You know, if you had to pay rent for a certain space and that rent was then increased, how would it affect your daily operations directly? I think, look, rental is the number one killer, actually, I think, Richard. Right. Um, this is the only overhead or fixed cost that you can't manipulate. So even if your sales were not too good and, uh, you know, you needed to cut down your staff to cut down your cost, you could do that. Or mm-hmm. if you wanted to manipulate the cost of your goods, you could do that. But with regards to rental, mm. you're not able to go to your... Um, landlord and be like, oh, actually, today's uh, this month has not been too good. So, could you help me to? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a fixed cost, saying, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a fixed cost there. But I'm wondering if you could give us some context as opposed to. I mean, you made it quite clear that it's one of the big ones. It's the one of the killer potential costs. But how much does it factor into an FMB operator's margins typically and profitability? Okay, so. We want to keep rental roughly within the 10% range of mm. revenue. So if we're doing, let's say, 60000 a month, then we want to make sure that rental stays around the 6000 ringgit mark or less. Mm-hmm. That would be the best way to um, to you know put that into perspective, basically. If you're going above the 10% mark, then um, it really depends on your cost of goods sold and things like this, yeah. So... So having, I'm sure you're familiar with this story by now then, and, and given the experience that we, we've seen from these hawkers in Penang, do you have any concerns about potential rental increases around any of your locations? To be honest with you, this year our rentals increased at the TTDI outlet, um, but fortunately we are able to manipulate uh, other factors to help us out with um, you know, bringing the rental cost down because we don't operate every day. Yeah. So if we add days on, to, and, and obviously rental doesn't increase if we add days on, then we're able to cut down our daily operational costs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for us, other locations, pretty okay so far, pretty fixed, not too bad. It's just the uh, TTI location, obviously. 
the main location. So, yeah. uh, just to add on to that, Nasri, when you're picking these locations, do you sign a contract for a fixed period of time as well? So, like your rent can't be increased for like you know a year, two years, six months, anything like that. Yeah, so it really depends on the location. At TTDI, we only operate, I mean, we, we go for every three months right. um, because that's what the landlord wants. Yeah. Um, the flexibility is there for us as well. So we're okay with that. But for other locations, uh, for our licensees, I would say, I mean, lo- most recently, Danokota has moved into a mamak. They're renting from a mamak in, uh, yeah, Danokota. Okay. And uh, they pay 1,500 ringgit a month, which you know, technically, it's, it's not too bad, mm. but they have storage of their chiller, they have storage of their freezer, they mm-hmm. can um, let put all their things there. So, you know, sometimes it's a give and take, you know. So yeah. they have a six-month contract, if I'm not mistaken. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay, Nazri, stick on the line for us. We need to take a, a short break for some ads. Uh, folks, I'm on the phone with uh, Nazri Adam. He's from uh, Sausage Sizzle, of course. Uh, we're talking about the rising rent dilemma and whether hawkers uh, and, and smallholders can weather the storm of a price hike. You know, the F&B sector is no stranger to hardships and obstacles, but a looming potential challenge in the form of rent increases uh, threatens to stir the hawker industry pot. We're going to take a short break. We've got some music coming up from The Clash with Rock the Casper, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> uh, and if you want to get in touch with the show and uh, maybe add to the conversation, get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. 018-789-8899 is the number. Get us on Twitter. We're at BFM Radio. We'll be back with myself and Roshan and Nasri after these messages. Become fabulous millionaires. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. It's a little bit of uh, R&R here on uh, Enterprise Biz Bites. But not rest and relaxation no. for sure. Uh, it is, of course, Thursday, the 22nd of June, 12.23 here in the studio. And we are talking about the rising rent dilemma. Can hawkers weather the storm? F&B sector, no stranger to hardships and obstacles. Uh, there's a potential challenge in the form of rent increases, threatening to stir the hawker industry pot. A recent uh, situation involving hawkers in Penang, which is highlighting this uh, implication of such mm. a move, painting a bit of a concerning picture for food stall owners everywhere, perhaps. If you want to talk to us about this, get us via WhatsApp, 018-789-8899, and Twitter, we are at BFM Radio. Of course, we are speaking with Nasri Adam. He is the uh, owner, the creator of Sausage Sizzle. He's with us here on the phone. Nasri, just before the break, I said you got 10 outlets. What position are you at now? Are you still 10 or 11? We're at 14 now. 14! <laughs> when did we last speak to you? It's less than a month ago, surely. I think it was... About a month or so ago, yeah. It was around Menu Rama time, so you know, yeah. so may have been about two months ago. You know, time flies. Well, congratulations, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nazri. So, so Nazri, actually, I have a question for you here. Um, yeah. Obviously, we have a lot of questions for you, but I have one in particular in mind right now. Um, so we, we saw uh, the hawkers in Penang. They went from essentially rental of zero to nine hundred. Right now, obviously, how drastic that is depends on how much revenue they're bringing in because it's all relative. In your situation, there, if you went from uh, if your rental tripled overnight, for example, how would that impact you? Um, how would you have to adjust or pivot in order to deal with that? Well, if our rental tripled overnight, we'd be panicking, number one. Mm. Um, but, you know, obviously to to uh, put that into perspective, I think that it would not be possible for us to continue operations at that location. You know, wow. the flexibility that Sausage Sizzle has is that we are able to move to, um, you know, we are able to move location. We don't have a fixed location at mm. this point in time. We haven't. We don't have a brick and mortar, basically, Mm-mm. right? So we are able to 
uh, move quite easily, which um, obviously, depending on the contract, um, would be the best option for us at that point in time. Mm. But obviously, the, the landlord would have to be able to justify a triple yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, in, in rentals. So I'm sure that whatever is happening right now at the Astaka Hillside Tanjung Munga um, can't be easy. Mm. Uh, for all of the hawker stalls there. So, yeah. Now, it, it, let's say, for example, it, it did increase. What steps would you need to, to take to, to maintain profitability? Okay, so if we were to stay in that location, there's only a couple of things that I can think that we could potentially do. Number one would be to, if the landlord allows, sublet um, or collaborate with another brand to reduce the cost of rent or to split the right. cost of rent. Yeah. Um, second would be to, let's say, for example, if we were not selling a meal at this point in time, we would not, we would need to expand on our menu um, and make sure that we have more profitable items and try to increase the transaction value for each customer that comes by. Mm-hmm. So let's say we only sell hot dogs at this point in time. We'd need to add drinks and fries and mm-hmm. things like that to to uh, yeah increase obviously revenue and therefore profitability to cover the increase in fixed cost. Mm. How tang- how um, sensitive is the idea of raising prices in order to keep up with rising rental costs, Nazri? Um, and oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess, I guess we have a semi-answer there. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, obviously this really depends on your product. Yeah. It depends on your price point at that point in time. But if you are playing with a product that is, um, you know, less than 10 ringgit, for example, increasing the price by one ringgit technically would be increasing the the cost of the the product by 10%, -hmm. right? At minimum. So customers are extremely sensitive to price increases at this point in time. Mm. We, on our side at Sausage Chisel, we obviously, we'd rather go for the value proposition than increasing the immediate price point of of the product. So if that means that if we are going to increase the price of the product, we would need to somehow increase the value of the product as well by adding something else with it or something along those lines. So yeah, right. very sensitive question, very sensitive. Yeah. So maybe talk to us about the value proposition equation a bit, Nazri. Like, um, you know, value proposition is a term that we often throw around. Uh, when, when you think about the way that you could add value to a product in the event that you would have to justify a higher price point, for example, what goes into a decision like that? Okay. So oh, a lot of things, different variables comes down to the product again. But let's say if you're selling rice and chicken and vegetables, for example, and your normal price point for that meal would be eight ringgit ninety. But you've calculated with the same amount of customers that you have right now, you need to get customers to spend twelve ringgit, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. right? So you could offer a set meal for example, that has a drink and a soup and a kueh, you know, a, a piece of cake yeah. um, or dessert that comes with the rice and chicken that obviously has a higher value proposition um, and that enables you to hit that 12 ringgit price point without adding too much cost. So you'd to add your to have... Actual, you know, base. So essentially adding a bit more higher margin items into a bundled product in order to Correct. bring the price, uh, the sales price higher. Correct. Ah, right, right, right. Hmm. 
Now, we're going to take a short break again in a second, Nasri. But before we do, no um, you mentioned earlier about, you know, it, 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 you would potentially have to move, right? And how would that affect, though, your customers if you if you move from one location to another? Because obviously, if you're in TTDI, you're getting TTDI customers. If you're in Bangsa, you're getting Bangsa customers. Now, but you do have that ability to move around. You're not a fixed place. Would your customers follow you, do you think? I mean, I know you started off with a food truck originally, correct? Uh, yes, we did. But right. I think at this point in time, that comes down to awareness mm-hmm. and your, you know, each store's individual social media following. Right. How well connected you are to your customers. Uh, do you have them on WhatsApp? Do you have the numbers? Do you have data? Right. Things like this. So I think it would be easy if you have all of those things. Yeah. You have the social media, you have the data, but if you don't have the social media, you don't have the data, you don't have any way of reaching out to your existing customer, mm-hmm. then it would be extremely difficult to mm-hmm. bring your customers to your new location. So this is why we really push at Sausage Sizzle for each licensee to make sure that they keep customer data, they they are active on their social media, they are yeah. interactive with their customers, you know, things like this. Yeah, yeah. So it could literally be, you know, today we are here, today we are there. And as long as somebody is following you guys on, on your social media, you know, they, they know where you're going to be, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, I mean, there would be a transition period of, oh, I don't know where you guys are, and then yeah. messaging in, and then a bit of education there. But I think that the majority of the customers should be aware, uh, depending on how, you know, obviously how, active you are on your social media and how much data you have. Mm -hmm. Okay, Nasri, uh, stay on the line. We're going to take another short break. We'll be back in just a few moments. To take us up to the break, folks, we have the killers with Mr. Brightside (laughs) here (laughs) on uh, Enterprise BizBytes with me and Roshan. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes on Enterprise BizBytes, BFM 89.9. Behold freedom, Malaysia, BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. My name is Rich Bradbury in the studio with Roshan Kennison. We are speaking uh, about this uh, price hike up in uh, Penang. It's a rising rent dilemma, hawkers and whether or not they can weather the storm. Of course, we are on the line with Nasri Adam. He's going to be joining us uh, again in just a couple of minutes. Uh, F&B sector problems, hardships, obstacles, potential rent rises, all happening up in Penang. Anything else you want to throw in that kitchen no, sink, maybe? I'm, I'm trying to be like, there's no positive There is no Mr. Brightside right. here, sir. <laughs> there's no Mr. Brightside, of course. Of course, we are speaking with Nasri. We've been speaking to him about um, increasing rent and how it affects his daily operations, uh, the cost factors, experiences of, of things like having to move and whatnot. Uh, now... Erosion, go on. Yeah, so uh, Nazri, we, we, before we wrapped up uh, the conversation earlier, we were talking a bit about customer data, and you brought up some interesting points there. Now, data is, you know, we've heard this a thousand times, data is the new oil, but what's really important is how you process that, because crude oil is worth nothing until it's made into a product. Um, as an F&B operator, um, how, do you, how does customer data, I guess, factor into the way that you operate your business? And, you know, how do you, how do you derive money and monetization from it okay so obviously the first things we're looking at is obviously getting uh, for numbers and things like this and um, we are building a pool of um, uh, numbers so that if any if any situations like we mentioned like you want to move location or mm-hmm. there's a new product coming out or anything like that we can just sew out uh, i mean send out a blast 
WhatsApp to all of our customers. But beyond that, I think that we are able to analyze more about um, with regards to customer spending habits, uh, what our best sellers are, um, why people are deciding, why people are buying um, these specific products, whether our you know specials are moving or they're not moving and why they're not moving, things like this. So we can derive a lot of, um, what's the word, uh, a lot of uh, insights. You know, Yes, yeah, exactly. So it's really about owning that customer relationship as well and helping them kind of kind of do some kind of data market research, basically. Is that about it? Yes, definitely. I think that that is, that is the gist of it, basically. What we need to do is basically make sure that we have enough data to understand how to move forward and what works best. And um, if we're not able to upsell certain products, how can we do that to increase profitability? Mm. Things along those lines, you know. Of, of that data you've collected so far, Nasri, has, has any of it helped you make a business uh, decision so far? Definitely. With regards to the hot dogs, I mean, it's a simple product, right? All we can do is add toppings on top of the hot dogs at this point in time. We can't (laughs) change out anything else with regards to the product. So I think at this point in time, we can see what the average spend is, Mm. which gives us confidence to be like, okay, you know what? Actually, we can can potentially move up a little bit higher in this location Mm. or this location doesn't perform as well with this this type of product. Mm -hmm. Um, So it gives us a bit more data as we grow to understand whether we should be standardizing all of our licenses Right. Or depending on the location, we should be um, increasing prices here or selling a specific gourmet product there, right, things like right, that. Right, right. You know? Now, I, I want to get back to, um, uh, I guess, safety in some way and, and, and protection. Are you aware of, of any kind of uh, protective measures in the areas that you're in, in, in case of a, a sudden price hike or anything like that? Okay. At this point in time, Hmm. um, obviously, it's difficult for us to determine when price hikes are going to come. I mean, we can talk about raw ingredients, we can talk about rentals, we can talk about all sorts of different things, right? Hmm. Uh, Packaging, for example, we have no idea when these things are going to happen. We have relationships with our suppliers, obviously, so they may inform us when a price has been increased, but at that time, it's too late Mm. for us to make a decision you know it's Mm. it's upon order or something along those lines so um at this point in time we don't have the best preventative measures with regards to that but we can obviously look into the data that we have to help us understand better what we should be doing in situations like that Mm. i'm just wondering just would follow up follow up on that nasri um whether so obviously a big part of this will be kind of engagement with uh, local councils, governments, local governments, that sort of thing uh, about what maybe, what kind of food protections, not food protection, sorry, what kind of protections yeah. food operators might, you know, uh, might want. So as someone who operates in the space, um, what kind of, so in an ideal world, right, like what kind of support, what kind of policies do you think would make it better and easier to do business in the food space uh, here in the Klang Valley? I think that if we talk about specific locations, let's talk about hawker stores, right? Which mm-hmm. are mostly um, government or local government run, um, like mid things like this within yeah. certain areas. Yeah. I think that it's important for them to most likely, you know, monitor sales within those areas, monitor what the actual revenue marks are, you know, what, mm-hmm. what can people actually make and then derive a... Um, you know, uh, 
a base rent from there, mm-hmm. you know, rather than just throwing out numbers and expecting people to be able to pay mm. for those things. I think that's important. Mm. Do, doing their research is important. And just asking the hawkers, you, you, you know. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Or standardizing with POS systems or something along those lines, yeah. you know, like giving them flexibility with regards to rental, fixing it at a certain percentage. So mm. it's a win-win situation. If sales are down, rental is down. If mm. sales are up, rental is a little bit higher, but you've got that profitability there, you know? Yeah. I, I suppose the, the last question I, I've got, I want to ask is, you know, these, these hawker stores, a lot of them are based around community. In fact, in fact, mainly around community. People have been going to these places for, for a long, long time, right. you know, what about you guys? You know, how important is the kind of, I guess, wider community support in your business? Oh my goodness, community support is super important in Tamantun. Um, obviously, we try to reach out to our customers as, as best we can. Obviously, we have the the Facebook group on Tamantun. We're quite we're quite active in there. We see some people. Some people uh, may post up photos whether they're happy with the product or disappointed with the product, but we're there to reply to them and uh, customers see the replies and they appreciate it and they understand the, uh, you know, uh, certain things, why certain things are certain ways because I have the ability to reach out to them. So, I mean, I think definitely being active within the community so that people not only, under, you know, know your brand, but know who's behind it and what, what you're trying to do mm. is important, you know, to build that relationship with mm. your customers. Mm. And, and honestly, I think this is, is quite why, you know, this story resonates with a lot of people because it doesn't feel like it's an attack on individuals. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like it's exactly. an attack on a smaller community. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that definitely, uh, that definitely feels that way. Yeah. Okay. Nazri, thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. Thank you, Richard, for having me. And Roshan, really appreciate the invite. Absolute pleasure. I'm guessing next time we speak to you, you'll probably have 24 outlets. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. But uh, Okay. Yeah. Fingers crossed then. Fingers crossed. Thank you, Nazri. Thanks so much, Richard. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that was really interesting, right? Yeah. I, I always enjoy speaking with Nazri and uh, what they're doing over there. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, the reason I think he uh, we like having him on as well is the, his ability to break things down and really add some context to it. Mm. So earlier when he was talking about um, rental being about 10% yeah. of uh, revenue, for example, that's a really piece of, good piece of context for folks like us who aren't uh, f- not, fam- not familiar, but aren't in the F&B industry, right? Because it's such a... The way I always look at the F&B industry, just from an external point of view, is that it is one of the industries that has a low entry uh, barrier to entry. So anyone can really enter. But it's because of that, it's so competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know there are all sorts of cost factors that come in. So while there are potential uh, margins to be had, these margins can be quickly eroded with factors out of your control. Yeah. So, you know, I've, uh, you've, I think we've all had friends who've tried their hand in the F&B industry. Some survive, some don't. Uh, the ones who survive uh, or thrive in them are real, like, um, hustlers in the good way, right? Yeah. They've really got to uh, make sure that they understand the business, they're able to manage relationships. And um, rental, like Nazri said earlier, is one of those key killer points. If you're not able to manage the rental appropriately, um, it can be disastrous. Mm. And building that community as well. Mm. That's the whole thing. Right, it's uh, pretty much time for us to wrap up for today. But if you did miss any of this show, don't forget you can go and download the podcast. It will be up shortly on our website. But of course, we recommend you listen back to it via the BFM app. That is available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. Please do not go anywhere because we have uh, more stuff coming up for you after the one o'clock news, including, of course, the breakfast 
Grill replay. Former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson resigned from his parliamentary seat this month, sending shockwaves throughout British politics and posing yet another headache for current Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. What are the implications of his exit from the Conservative Party and the stability of the UK government? That was discussed this morning uh, with political scientist Professor Chandran Kukatas uh, from the uh, Singapore Management University. Any feelings about all that, Richard? I have no <laughs> comment. <laughs> Join us again tomorrow, same time, same place for Enterprise Biz Bites here on BFM 89.9. Myself and Roshan will be signing off uh, for this afternoon, but of course we will be back tomorrow. Uh, enjoy some music from Tom. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, who's going to help take us up to the top of the hour here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.